Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. Mary Helen Sheriff is the author of the award-winning Southern women's fiction novel, Boop and Eve's Road Trip. She serves as the CEO of Bookish Road Trip and a blogger at The Gift of Story. After 14 years of teaching elementary school, middle school, college, and professionals, she has an MFA from Hollins University, an MA from Old Dominion University, and a BA from the University of Virginia. She is an entrepreneur and an adventurer. She lives in Enrico County, Virginia, with her two children, two cats, but one husband. Mary, welcome to The Storytellers. Thanks so much for having me. It's really a pleasure to get to spend time with you here because I want, I've always wanted to ask you, why storytelling? Why now? The theme of our show is the importance of telling our stories. So jump right in there about why storytelling with your novel and with your blog. Sure. So I think even as a young child, books were like my escape, my friend. Um, I spent hours and hours reading and were a true love of mine. Um, so it did, isn't crazy to realize that as I got older, I thought, oh, I'll be a teacher and I can share the gift of story with kids. And that was a lot of what we did. Um, and I used to love, especially when I taught elementary school and doing read alouds with the kids. I even had um, some former students who are now adults with married children um, sending me emails recently talking about, hey, do you remember that time you read such and such a book to us um, in class? And that's such a great memory of mine from elementary school. And, you know, just kind of neat to like know that that connection was there and that we made that. Um, and then as I got older, I had my own children and um, the oldest of them turned out to be dyslexic. And while he loved stories, he struggled with reading. And um, it opened my eyes to a whole world of people who had this kind of struggle. I didn't really know anything about dyslexia prior to this. Even as a person with a master's degree in education, we never talked about dyslexia. I thought it was just flipping some letters around. Um, it's so much more than that. And um, so through his journey, I learned a lot about what it is and ways to intervene with it. Um, and so I guess from many angles, storytelling and the importance of story and access to story is just a really um, key part of the theme of my life, um, personally, professionally, and as a parent and a teacher and all those good things. So you've brought all that together in terms of your novel writing and in terms of your blog. Did you have a favorite children's book? My favorite children's book as a kid was A Wrinkle in Time. Um, I've discovered many wonderful children's books as a grown-up. I still, I still love to read them, <laughs> um, even though I guess theoretically I'm too old for them, but I think they're wonderful. Talk to us about your novel. I enjoyed it so much, and in prepping for today's interview, I scanned it again, and there's so many things to talk about. So tell our listeners about your novel. Okay. 
So Big Picture is, it's the story of Eve Prince. She is a college freshman and she's away from home for the first time. Her mother was a super helicopter mom, maybe even call her a steamroller. Um, might be a better vehicle than a helicopter. But the point is, is that Eve goes away to college and really doesn't have problem solving skills, coping skills, because she's been wrapped in bubble wrap her whole life. And that means that like normal problems, normal things are just bogging her down and she starts to spiral into a depression. She isolates herself more and more and more. Um, And she has a best friend. The best friend um, sort of just stops communicating with her. She's her best friend's away, not at college with her. And she doesn't know what's going on and decides that she thinks she might have gotten some clues from the last message and wants to go and find her. And to do that, she needs to borrow her grandmother's car. Enter Boop, who is her grandmother. And um, Boop uh, has a history of her own with lots of struggles that she has worked through, mostly, although some of them have been tapped up tight, deep in her heart. And she has to, she realizes that Boop is, that Eve is falling apart. So Boop says, yeah, you can borrow my car, but I have to come with you. And that's really the whole premise of the book. The two of them go on this trip and Eve needs to heal from her depression and Boop is going to help her do that. And Boop has some secrets from her past that she's got to unveil and work through in order to be able to help her granddaughter. So both of them have their own story. And I loved, for me, there really was that triangle between Boop at 80, her daughter Justine at 58, I think, and then you have Eve, 18, 19. And there was this wonderful triangle of the different roles of women at different parts of their life. And you did a very good job, I think, of capturing that. Which was the hardest character for you to write? Um, probably Justine. I, the original draft of the book, Justine was not as bad as she is in the final draft. Um, I really understood how someone could be a helicopter mom. It was something I, you know, as I was entering parenting, um, that was sort of the, the major advice we were getting was to do things that felt a little bit over the top. And so I, I can see falling into that trap. Um, and so I kind of had her as a more nuanced character and not quite the steamroller and more of a helicopter. But I got some advice from people in the publishing industry that I needed her to really be the bad guy. And so to throw her under the bus, give the reader someone to hate. And, and so I did. And I do think it made it stronger to have has made her more powerful. But at the end, I had to like go back to my original draft and explain why she was that way. So I did, I still had to hold on to some of that like nuanced character. Like she isn't really evil. She really does love her daughter. She's just kind of a mess too. Um, And I think that was that great push me, pull you. You know, you don't like Justine in the beginning. You can identify with Eve, you know, just wanting to get out from under that Mm -hmm. thumb. But then the way you so brought Justine back at the end uh, without giving anything away. But I would have guessed that that would have been the character that would have been hardest to write. 
for you, because of, you know, you're a little bit younger than I am, um, grandmothers can be wonderfully nuanced, and I thought you brought great character to Boop. But Justine, really, for me, was the character, I was like, oh, somebody understand this woman, because <laughs> there, there was this transition, and we didn't know what was going on mm-hmm. with her. Mm-hmm. And I don't think any of us wake up in the morning to say, oh, I really want to screw up my kid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And parenting is so hard. And really, all Justine was trying to do was right her mother's wrongs. Like, I'm going to make different mistakes, but they're not going to be the same ones my mom made. (laughs) Absolutely. And Eve's character, um, who's in college, doesn't want to be in college, and she has a secret longing. And I'd love you to talk about the name of the company she envisions, because that was a beautiful nuance in the book. The name of the company she envisions? Backstitch. Backstitch. Okay. Yeah, that was one of the maybe going to be the title of my book at one point. I went through lots of titles. Um, But the idea of a backstitch in sewing is it can be the final stitch, but it's also a way that you can undo mistakes. And so the sort of the idea was she is undoing her own mistakes, maybe her mom's mistakes, maybe even grandma's mistakes. And that was a lot of what the book is about being able to start over and forgive yourself and forgive others and live in a place of family and hope and love. You have some wonderful expressions. So I want to talk about those. And then I want to nestle that in the idea that your book is about a Southern voice. Mm -hmm. So the things that made me smile a lot in the book were things like being as nervous as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs. (laughs) Yeah. Which was a wonderful expression, or there was somebody who thought he was all that. And I guess the expression you used was all hat and no cattle. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) So you draw some very good images, though. There's the very uptight ant that we haven't talked Mm -hmm. about. And you talk about how the pearls choked Vicky's neck and they were held in place as tightly as her self-restraint. Where do those wonderful expressions come from? So some of the ones like the rocking chair and the cat, I can't take credit for. They're real expressions in the South. Um, I didn't like pick a certain location in the South. So like in Texas, they might have certain ones. And in Tennessee, they might have different ones. I I've, I've made myself free to take whichever ones I wanted <laughs> and use them however I wanted. Um, and then sometimes I couldn't find an expression and I felt like I wanted one there. And so I would make one up. Um, That's why you're a writer. Yeah. And then I went through as in part of the rewrites and I wanted to make sure that I had some symbolism, some metaphors, different kinds of figurative language, at least one for every scene. And so some of the things I imagine that pearls, I don't remember for sure, but I imagine that came in later writings as I was trying to capture the essence of Vicky's character in comparison to Boop's. Um, that stuff doesn't necessarily come naturally to me. I have to work at it. Like I have to be really make conscious efforts to add figurative language and things like that in. That's fascinating to me. I would have never thought of a book as constructed that way. So you made a conscious decision to say, okay, I'm going to write this, but then I need to throw in some metaphor and some simile. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> really? Is that so something you, you, you heard? Heard? Uh, As I say, usually when I write a scene, I write the dialogue 
largely first, and then I go through and layer in the setting and um, dialogue. And maybe thoughts might be in the first one too. And then as I go through it again and again, I think, okay, how can I make this more artistic, more beautiful? How can I add some poetry into this prose? Fascinating. Now let's talk about a little bit about Southern writing. In truth, Mm -hmm. I never really gave it very much thought. We certainly have, you know, the Pat Conry Center. We Mm -hmm. have the huge classics of To Kill a Mockingbird. You have Gone with the Wind. But I don't think it was until I heard Claire Fullerton talk that for her, and I think for you, place is very important and the South is very important. Yeah, I think about the South. What was, I'm sorry, what was the question? Could you talk about that South nature? Yeah, so I think, you know, all places are unique in their own ways, I imagine. But I grew up in the South. Um, I don't consider myself to be deeply Southern. (laughs) Um, I don't live in the deep South, for example. And I guess depending on where you live, I may or may not have a Southern accent right now. (laughs) Um, And... um, you know, so Virginia is not the most Southern of places, but my mother grew up in a very small town in Virginia and her upbringing was more classically Southern than my own, as was my grandmother's. And so as part of my cultural heritage, that's a big part of it. I grew up in Virginia Beach, which is a naval town. And so a lot of my friends are from all over the place. I don't have quite the same. Um, But, you know, being Southern is more than just where I live. It's the food we eat. It's the way we talk. And it can also be a mindset. And um, and the South, I think, has a reputation because of some awful things that happened in its history. Um, and sometimes that's where we get stuck when we talk about and think about the South. And um, And those things are important. I don't mean to, you know make them not seem important, but that's not all the South is. It's so much richer than that. And there's so much more to it than horrible things that went on in the past. Well, and I love that, at least for me, as I learn more about different genres, I'm open to more in different genres. So if somebody had said to me, do I want to read Southern fiction? I probably would have said, well, you know, I could take it or leave it. (laughs) So now I can see a whole nother dimension to it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you talked about some of the atrocities of the South for sure, but the South is so rapidly changing. We have um, Atlanta is turning into the Hollywood of the South with all the different studios being opened there. So we're really seeing a very uh, different image of the South, I think, as we move forward at this point in history. You talk about some tough subjects too in your book. Uh, You talk a great deal about depression. Mm -hmm. You talk about loss of uh, dreams and children and childhood. Why is that so important? Um, So I struggled some with depression myself, um, particularly after having babies. So I wasn't exactly Eve, but I have been in that darker place. Um, And I felt like when I was there, no one else understood, Um, which isn't, of course, true. But I think in popular literature, we acknowledge depression um, when it follows a traumatic event. We get this awful, awful thing happens to someone and they're sad and they're acting out or isolating themselves or whatever. But we don't talk a whole lot about someone who's just depressed and doesn't have a quote unquote good reason. 
um, there are reasons and, um, and probably a lot of them are biological that we don't even understand. But the point is, is that I thought it was important to kind of capture someone who is struggling with everyday depression. 20% of people in the world struggle with it. Um, 80% of them don't get help. And I think part of the reason they don't get help is because it's hard to know when you're there, that you're there. You don't have that objectivity to look at yourself that way. Um, and so I wanted to write a book that sort of just reflected that, the sense of, I don't even deserve to feel the way I do. And that makes me feel even worse. Um, but it made for a weird plot because it's a, if you're writing a story, it's more interesting to have a traumatic event occur and have the person be falling apart. And so um, to not do that required adding some other things to the book to give it the plot and have the friend missing and have the grandmother have her history and her secret and things like that. I really loved the softness, if you will, with how you handled depression because I think it is, you know, we have situational depression, right? And that's the thing that you're talking about where there's the traumatic event. And then there's those other chemical, situational, just it bubbles up and it sits with you. And I thought you handled it very, very gently. And as many of our listeners know, in the back of authors' books, we put things called a call to action. Mm -hmm. And some of, of those things are for lack of a better word, trivial, like please follow us on Instagram and Facebook and listen to my Twitter feed. But sometimes they're also more impactful. And I love that at the back of your book, you had a call to action that talked about the importance of reaching out if you need help. Yeah. Why, was, why was that important for you to include? Well, I, I wanted, if someone was reading this book who was struggling with depression, I didn't want that to be the end of the conversation, the book itself. Um, I think that books and stories can be healing, but they're not probably sufficient if you are really dealing with serious um, depression issues. And so I, I put a phone number in there um, of a suicide hotline so that if that's where someone was sitting, they had an instant access to that information. Um, and I also, I mean, one of the other things that led me to do in the book was um, I didn't want someone struggling with depression to find the book depressing. And yet I wanted to have the authentic voice of Eve struggling with depression. And so that was a weird balance to try to do. Um, and that's when Boop's voice became so dominant in the book. Because originally Boop was just going to be a secondary character who was going to be along for the ride and a great mentor and all that. But it wasn't going to be as much Boop's story as it turned out to be. I think of this as having a dual protagonist because um, Boop came to life and took over half the book as well she should have. And I'm so glad she did. But um but part of that was to be able to say, okay, we're going to have a scene where Eve's dark and angry and I'm going to offset it with someone who cares about her and who is funny and who has been there and done that so can maybe provide a view of hope. And I think you did that beautifully. What did your characters teach you? I think they taught me a lot about forgiveness. It's not a theme I went in there thinking about. Um, consciously. And I think um, we as people are so very flawed and make so many mistakes, little ones, big ones, whatever. And 
the only way to get through this for yourself is to be able to forgive others. Um, I think forgiveness does a whole lot more for the person who's doing the forgiving than the person who's accepting it. A, that's a great message. I always like to, in these interviews, also find those overarching messages. So forgiveness is one. And there's a wonderful scene between Boop and Eve where they're talking about the meaning of life. And you boil it down to, I think, the importance is, the overarching goal is to just be, to be in the moment. Yeah. And and that's so wise in this incredibly busy world, even in COVID times when we don't go to many places. So to have that sense of just being, I thought you were very wise. And I, I loved that Boop is the one who shared that because I think that is the gift of age that you were able to hear from her. So I know that I learned from the characters in my book. And I know when I talk to other authors, they say their characters taught them things as well. One of the things I wanted to touch base with you on is I call you an entrepreneur. I don't know if you would call yourself an entrepreneur, but you are such a hardworking author. You and I first met over on Facebook on a group that you envisioned, which now has 2,500 plus members. Why is that community so important and why did you start it? Well, I started it. I didn't start it alone. I started it in a community as well. Um, there were four of us who started it. Uh, the others were Julie Valerie and Melissa Face and Libby McNamee. And um, we started it because all of us at the time um, thought we had books coming out in the middle of COVID. Um, one of those people ended up pushing her book back and it just came out still in the middle of COVID, but um, we thought it might not be. And um, Anyway, we were struggling because we were all relatively new authors. We weren't famous. And um, we were struggling with trying to find a way to connect with readers, like throwing a book out into the world. <laughs> How's anyone going to know it exists? Um, and so we thought if we worked together, that would be helpful. And we thought that a Facebook group sounded like it would be super easy to do and not that much work and a great way to connect with, <laughs> with readers. Anyway, it turned out that maybe because we're all type A personalities, <laughs> it wasn't super easy to do um, because we wanted it to be this really special place. Um, and I think the idea of people who love to read and love to travel ends up being uh, a particularly interesting group of people to begin with. Um, they tend to be very welcoming and interested in the world around them. And they like strangers and they like books. Um, so I think that it, it brings together a really cool group of people. But also, it's COVID. We have more time to read and we can't travel. <laughs> and so it just kind of ended up being the right time and the right group um, to form. And it just took off in ways I never imagined. It's been such a lovely space. Um, I never thought that I would make friends online. <laughs> and here we are, Grace. We made friends online. Um, never mentioned I would life, but I will I one day. <laughs> I would agree with you. I really thought that all of that social media was very fake and that, no, those aren't your real friends. And somehow uh, COVID has done that uh, for all of us. Yeah. I like to wind up my interviews with asking people something a little bit quirky that maybe people don't normally know about you or you haven't shared in other interviews? Hmm, something quirky. Um, how about that I am afraid of revolving doors? 
that would be quirky. <laughs> Why are you afraid of revolving doors, Mary Sheriff? I well, I think I'm kind of claustrophobic, and they're small. It would be okay because it's fast, but like, what if you got stuck? And then I'm always like feeling like my heels are going to get caught behind me. Like I'm not going to move as fast as the things go. Anyway, I was just at a restaurant last night and they had a revolving door. I chose to take the handicapped door on the side. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it. Why do I have to? It might be a little bit of a control piece too. I'm, I'm, a, I'm <laughs> really a big, I am a big control person. So where can people find you? Um, I have a website. It's maryhelensheriff.com. And if you go there, there's a million places to sign up for my newsletter, which comes out once a month. It kind of keeps you posted on what's going on in my life. But also, um, I talk about other books and get book recommendations and things like that. Um, I have a blog, which I do highlight in the newsletter, um, which talks about gifting books and has author interviews and and good things like that. Um, and they can find you at the Bookish Road Trip. Absolutely. And, and both on Instagram and on Facebook. So that would be wonderful. Mary, thank you for being my guest today. It's been a pleasure. And thanks for being a great storyteller. Thanks for having me. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon.